0: We can be thankful that we have Jesus, who is the suffering servant. We can be thankful that we have Jesus, who is the conquering king. As the suffering servant, he suffers with us. He laments with us. And then as the conquering king, he is in the process of uh, bringing all things under his feet. He is in the process of defeating evil. One day, that will all be complete, and evil will will be completely vanquished. So we have before us Jesus as the suffering servant and the conquering king. Thus, our series the last few weeks for Lent, the suffering servant and the conquering king. This is our final entry this morning as we look at the so-called triumphal entry. And we're going to see Jesus in this passage mostly as the conquering king, but we're going to see a hint also of Jesus as the suffering servant. So we're gonna be talking this morning about the triumphal entry, which I think might be better termed the triumphal approach. And we're gonna see that the disciples honor Jesus. So the question before us this morning is, how do we go about honoring Jesus? Assuming that you're a follower of Jesus and that you want to honor Jesus, how do you go about doing that? I have found in my personal experience that in order to honor Jesus, it really helps to wear a hat. This has worked for me, okay? Honor Jesus, wear a hat, or wear a hat, maybe you might get the opportunity to honor Jesus. More about that in just a minute. But before we do, we're going to get into our text this morning, which is Mark chapter 11. And in our series, we began with Mark chapter 8, and then we moved forward to Mark chapter 14 looking at different passages in the Gospel of Mark that emphasize Jesus as the suffering servant and or the conquering king. Now we're backtracking to Mark chapter 11 to really line this up with Palm Sunday. This is a Palm Sunday text. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So Mark chapter 11, first of all, the first three verses, Mark 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, that is, Jesus, his disciples, and other pilgrims coming mostly from Galilee, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord has need of it, or literally the Lord of it has need, and we'll send it back here immediately. So in the Gospel of Mark, we are now entering into the final act. The Gospel of Mark features a three-act drama. The first act features the Galilee and the surroundings uh, of Galilee, and the second act features Jesus and his disciples and others on the road to Jerusalem. So that's act two. It's the road or the way, the way of the Lord. And finally, then they arrive here in Jerusalem. This is the beginning of act three, as we look at Mark chapter 11. Now, as we have seen in our uh, series, uh, our Lent series, we've seen that the disciples and Jesus have different visions of the kingdom of God. Jesus has said, when we go to Jerusalem... I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over to the Romans by the Jewish leaders and the Romans are going to crucify me. And the disciples really don't understand this. They have a completely different vision of the kingdom of God, more of Jesus as the conquering king, the way they think Jesus should be the conquering king. They expect and hope that Jesus will be enthroned in Jerusalem. This is where kings went to be enthroned. Now, in the whole Hebrew history, you've got the king, King David, and you've got kings that proceed from him, but that throne has been vacant for decades and centuries. So they're hoping that Jesus, who they think is the Messiah, the final ultimate king of Israel, is going to be enthroned in Jerusalem. Jesus says he's going to be killed in Jerusalem. So we have conflicting visions of the kingdom of God that are colliding at this particular moment. Not only that, We have all sorts of streams from the biblical story that are converging at this particular moment so that everyone sort of knows what's going on here because they know the biblical story. We don't know it as well. Therefore, I'm going to clue you in on a couple of things here, a few passages from the Hebrew scriptures that help us understand what's going on here. There are a lot of passages that I could bring to the fore here, but I'm just going to bring to you about three of them so that we understand really what's happening here. But really, if we understand the backstory, the narrative then crackles with anticipation. Here it is. Everything in the biblical story has been leading up to this moment. Here comes the king, and he is coming to Jerusalem. The joy of the whole earth. First of all, let's look at 1 uh, Kings uh, chapter 1, verses 33 and 34. And the king, David, who I just referred to, said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, that's his son, Solomon my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. So the precedent has been set. How do you enthrone a king? How do you anoint a king? Well, David takes his mule, his animal, and says, okay, let's have Solomon, my son, ride on it, and therefore everyone will know now that Solomon is king. So what are we doing here in this particular passage in Mark chapter 11? Jesus is arranging for a colt, or The the word colt could be used for a young horse or a donkey, so probably a donkey in this case. He is arranging for a donkey, ultimately so that he can ride into Jerusalem on this donkey. Okay, let's move on. Mark chapter 11, verse 4. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. What comes across in Mark's narrative is the messianic authority with which Jesus acted. We don't know for sure whether he made prior arrangements for this cult or whether something supernatural is going on here. At any rate, Mark doesn't seem to be concerned with that. What he's concerned with is to demonstrate the messianic authority of Jesus. Jesus speaks to his disciples. His disciples obey him. His disciples go to this particular place. They find the donkey. The people let them take the donkey. They're suspicious at first. But when they answer the way Jesus said them to, told them to answer, they're able to procure the donkey. So literally in the text, as I said, it's the Lord of it has need. And Jesus is the Lord of it. it. Yeah, it belongs to somebody, but really it belongs to Jesus. The same is true of everything that we have. Yeah, you might own something, you might own a house or a car or something like that, but really, You're not the Lord of it. The Lord is the Lord of it. It belongs to him. That's the case here. Now, when when these disciples go into the town, Jesus expects people to be suspicious. He instructs them to answer in a particular way if they are asked a question. So they are asked a question and they answer the question and they're able to procure the donkey. And they're going to be able to honor Jesus with that donkey, this particular kind of donkey in this particular place. So, what do we do then if we want to honor Jesus? First of all, watch for opportunities. They didn't create this opportunity to honor Jesus, Jesus Himself created the opportunity. Do you see that? It's not their idea, let's go get a colt and let's go do this and let's put Jesus on and let him ride into Jerusalem. No, it's not their idea, it's Jesus' idea and he creates this opportunity for them. Therefore, watch for opportunities that Jesus creates for you to honor him. Don't be so concerned with creating your own opportunity because if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to honor him, he's going to create opportunities for you to do so. Watch for those opportunities. And if you need something, or if Jesus deems that you need something to honor him, he can get that thing for you. He made arrangements for the donkey on which no one had, been, no one had uh, rode before. And so Jesus could do the same thing for us. If you need a donkey to honor Jesus, he can get the donkey for you. You might have to go looking for it, It might not be dropped in your lap, but the donkey ends up being in your possession so that you can use it to honor Jesus. And be ready to answer questions. When people ask questions, be ready to bring the Lord into the answer. The Lord of it has need. You might just be able to think about how you could answer a question if somebody asks you why you're doing a certain thing. Why are you doing this weird thing? You know, somebody might ask you that. This this seems a little odd why you're doing this. Why are you serving people in this way? Why why are you doing that? Be very casual about it. Just answer the question by bringing the Lord into it. And say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and, and Jesus has loved me, and I'm trying to love other people. This is why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because of Jesus. Just bring the Lord into those kinds of conversations. Answer questions and again be very casual about it you don't you don't have to sort of know all the right answers to all the difficult questions Peter says this in first Peter chapter 3 verse 15 always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you now some people take it that okay you've got to study all of these apologetic type questions and have all of these answers ready By all means, learn as much as you can to answer difficult questions. But my guess is that a reason for the hope that is within you is not the ontological argument for the existence of God or the teleological argument for the existence of God, which is a very cool argument, by the way. You should learn it. But that's not a reason for the hope that is in you. It has something to do with the love that you have been shown by God. It has something to do with the forgiveness that you've received in Jesus Christ. It has something to do with the whole world that Jesus has opened up for you that you didn't know existed. Those kinds of things are reasons for the hope that is in you. So be ready to answer those kinds of questions with those kinds of answers. So uh, Super Bowl this year, I was going to a Super Bowl party but beforehand, I was picking up some chicken at KFC. And uh, I, I wear a hat outside to protect my delicate skin. So I had, this, I had this hat on. And I walked into KFC with this hat on. It has a P on the front of it. Does anyone know what the P stands for? Mm-hmm. There's a mixture in there, yeah. Now, I would not know what this P stands for unless I had bought the hat. Well, actually, it was given to me. I asked it for a present, and my family gave me this hat. And uh, the guy comes up to me at KFC. We're both waiting for our chicken. And he says, uh, Did you go to Pepperdine, or do you know someone who went to Pepperdine? And I Oh, yeah, it's a Pepperdine hat that I'm wearing. So I said, Both. I went to Pepperdine, and my daughter is currently enrolled at Pepperdine, and that's why I'm wearing this hat. He says, I'm a Pepperdine graduate too. It looked like he graduated uh, a lot later than I did. <laughs> and we got involved in a conversation while we're waiting for our chicken. And he asked me, What was your experience at Pepperdine? And I told him. And I also said, I believe that the Lord led me there. And I, u- and I believe that the Lord used my experience there for his purposes. And that's all I said. And he showed absolutely no interest in any kind of follow-up with the Lord or anything like that. I'd like to be able to tell you that I was able to share the gospel with him at that point and right there, then and there at KFC, he dropped to his knees and accepted Jesus as Savior. (laughs) Didn't happen. I introduced, he asked a question, I answered the question, I brought the Lord into it, and that was that. But sometimes that isn't that. In 1949, in Indonesia, a young Dutch soldier was wounded. He went to a hospital that was run by Franciscan nuns. Two and a half years earlier, he left, and his uh, mother put this Bible into his duffel bag. He had never opened the Bible. Not in two and a half years has he, had he cracked the Bible. But when he went to the hospital, his friend fished the Bible out of his duffel bag and placed it on his bedstand. And he was very impressed by these Franciscan nuns. Here's what he writes. From from dawn until midnight, they were very busy in the wards, cleaning bedpans, swabbing wounds, writing letters for us, laughing, singing. I never once heard them complain. One day I asked the nun, who came to bathe me, how it was that she and the other sisters were always so cheerful. The nun answered, why? You ought to know the answer to that. A good Dutch boy like you, it's the love of Christ. He asked her a question. Why are you doing what you're doing? She answered the question, the love of Christ. The soldier soldier writes this. When she said it, her eyes sparkled, and I knew without question that for her, this was the whole answer. She could have talked all afternoon and said no more. But you're teasing me, aren't you? She said, tapping the Bible on the bedside table. You've got the answer right there. So the young soldier opened up the Bible that he had never cracked before to what? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and he started reading, thus began the conversion to Christ of the man we know today as Brother Andrew, who served the persecuted church for the rest of his life and led hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of people to Christ. And it all began when a nun answered a question and brought Jesus in to the answer. How do you honor Jesus? One of the ways to do that is the way you treat people. You treat them with love and dignity and respect. And that in itself honors Jesus. And sometimes that creates a platform for you to answer questions that people ask you. Why do you do this? Why are you doing what you're doing? Now, the disciples now are preparing the donkey for Jesus. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 7. And they brought out and they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna! In the highest. So again, the narrative crackles with anticipation. And this goes back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So people get the idea, they know what's going on here. This is the king, or this is someone who's making a claim to be the king because of his posture riding into Jerusalem. Now, what do the disciples do? They have their cloaks. They take their cloaks and they put their cloaks on the donkey and create a saddle for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem down the Mount of Olives. Now, they, they didn't have the donkey, They needed to get the donkey. Jesus instructed them to go get the donkey, uh, but they already have their cloaks. Jesus doesn't need to tell them what to do with their cloaks, They know what to do. They already have something here, to honor Jesus, They have cloaks. They didn't have the donkey, they needed to go get it. Jesus told them how to go get it. And they got the donkey. The cloaks they already have, And they know what to do with their cloaks. They make a saddle for Jesus. And then other people recognize what's going on here, and they create this honorific carpet for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem, made of cloaks and also leafy branches. So branches are getting into the act here. It's like all creation seems to be getting into the act on Palm Sunday as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. So look at uh, 2 Kings 9:13. another stream of the story. Then in haste, Every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So, see what's going on here? Back then, they created this honorific carpet for Jehu, who was king. Now they recognize that Jesus is making a statement that he's proclaiming himself to be king, and others are recognizing him as such. So, what do they do? They create this carpet. They roll out the red carpet for Jesus. And then they know how to respond. The pilgrims coming from Galilee and other places know how to respond. They praise Jesus based on Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 would be a psalm that the pilgrims would sing during their pilgrimage on their way to Jerusalem. And in this case, they're on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. What about these leafy branches? Well, 200 years earlier, a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus, defeated the pagans who controlled Jerusalem. He vanquished the pagans and he cleansed the temple of pagan influence and they hailed him with palm branches. So what do they do here? In this case, leafy branches. They're hailing Jesus with leafy branches. They're hailing him as the King, the King of Jerusalem. And many of them are hailing him as the Messiah, the ultimate King of Jerusalem. And many of them are hoping that Jesus is going to be enthroned in Jerusalem and he's gonna vanquish the pagans. In this case, the Romans who occupy their land. But Jesus is after something that is much bigger. I don't need this hat anymore. I'm honoring Jesus, though, you know. Um, um, Where was I? (laughs) Oh, yeah, Jesus is, is, is going to Jerusalem to vanquish Satan, sin, and death. Not the Romans, Satan, sin, and death. He's after something that's much bigger. Again, conflicting visions of the kingdom of God. So Jesus, though, has awakened these dreams, these dreams among these pilgrims For a better world, and they hail him as the king. So this would be very much like, well, let's put it this way: Uh, we were studying this passage several weeks ago with other pastors in the area for our series that we're doing, and Paul Taylor made the observation that if you were, if you are of a certain age and you grew up in the United States and you saw a car going down the road with tin cans attached to the back by strings, you would know what's going on. It's symbolic, right? You would know that the people inside that car just got married. It's a cultural thing here. I don't know if it's a cultural thing anywhere else, but, that, but you would know that. So all of these symbolic things that are happening, people are recognizing what's going on here and responding accordingly. So sometimes you have to get a donkey that you don't have so to speak. Sometimes you have what you need already. What do you have? Well, you have hands, you have feet. The disciples used hands and feet to get their cloaks. You have a cloak, maybe a coat. Yeah, you have a coat. You have some clothes. Yeah, you have a house, maybe an apartment. You have a car. What, what else do you have? Maybe the Lord of it has need because it all belongs to the Lord. So if you watch for opportunities to honor Jesus, there will be times when you are nudged and you will know exactly what to do. And all you have to do is use what you already have. Use what you already have. And oftentimes it's going to be obvious. Sometimes not, but sometimes it's going to be obvious. Years ago here, I led the young adults ministry at the church. I handed it off to Paul Taylor, who handed it off to Dan Westman. We've been doing that for a quarter century or so, or something like that, maybe more. And uh, when I was leading that, I would often uh, prevail upon people in in the congregation if they would open their houses for Bible studies or for events or for parties and so forth. And people were very generous. And those houses then became a holy stage for the Holy Spirit to work. And it was an amazing thing to see. And I would always thank everyone, of course, for opening up their houses. And I remember one particular occasion, I came up to uh, a man who's opened up his house for this wonderful party. You know, some of these Bible studies, they would go on for nine months. People would open up their houses for nine months. I see some of you who are at those Bible studies, by the way. And great things happened there. And I, uh, I, I thanked this particular man for opening up his house. And he said to me, hey, it's the Lord's house he understood it wasn't his house it was the lord's house the lord of it had need and he was very thankful to be able to offer his house for the lord's use now expectations are sky high as jesus descends the mount of olives mount of olives and approaches jerusalem what happens When he comes into Jerusalem, here we have the triumphal approach. Is it also the triumphal entry? Let's see. Verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Huh? Huh? Everything in the Gospel of Mark has been leading up to this moment. You might even say that everything in the biblical story has been leading up to this moment. The climax is an anti-climax. The pilgrims respond, but when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, nothing happens. Now, normally, dignitaries would be greeted by leaders and dignitaries would be escorted to the temple and would be given a tour of the temple. That doesn't happen for Jesus. He is greeted by Jerusalem with a silent slap in the face. Jerusalem snubs its king. Jesus looks around, and he realizes, I can't find a home here. This is not my place. This is not the house of the Lord. And so he leaves. And where does he leave? Well, he goes up the Mount of Olives and then he lodges in this little village on the other side of the Mount of Olives Olives, called Bethany. This again brings us back to the biblical story. If you go back all the way back, when Jerusalem was first destroyed, Ezekiel, the prophet, was given a vision of the glory of the Lord departing the temple meaning then that the glory of the Lord had left the temple. The temple was going to be destroyed. It was by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Jesus has already hinted. And then further in uh, Mark chapter 13, he's going to predict that the temple in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed again. So where's the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He is God himself coming into Jerusalem. He cannot find a home in Jerusalem. Watch what uh, Ezekiel saw before the temple was destroyed. Then the cherubim, Ezekiel chapter 11, then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was over them and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city, from the temple to the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. What is the mountain on the east side of the city? It is the Mount of Olives. Where does Jesus, what does Jesus do? He departs to the east. And he lodges on that mountain east of the city in Bethany. What's he doing? He is reenacting the departure of the Lord and symbolically saying, this is not the house of the Lord. This is going to be destroyed. Indeed, it was in 70 AD. Sometimes when you want to honor Jesus, people respond like the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. Other times when you want to honor Jesus, they respond like the people of Jerusalem, nothing. Sometimes when you want to honor Jesus, people respond like Brother Andrew. Sometimes when you want to honor Jesus, people respond like that guy in KFC, nothing. Sometimes you're riding high in April. Other times you're shot down in May, as Frank Sinatra used to sing. What do you do when you're shot down in May? You go deeper with the Lord so that you are ready when the next opportunity comes your way. And you recognize and you renew yourself that what's most important is that you be faithful. Not necessarily successful, but faithful. That you can be ready in season and out of season to honor Jesus regardless of how people respond. 1999 in April, I went with the young adults to uh, build a a community center in a village in Belize. And while we were down there, we went to a church and the pastor of the church found out that I was a pastor and said to me, well, we're going to have this evangelistic meeting in a few days. How would you like to preach at that evangelistic meeting? It's going to be an open air shopping center. I said, sure, I'll do that. So I get there, I think it was a Friday night, and I'm standing in this open-air area, and this, uh, the, uh, the pastor hands me the microphone and says, okay, preach. <laughs> well, there, there was only one problem. There was nobody to preach to. At one point, there was a guy pedaling by on a bicycle. And I, he stopped for a second. And as, as he was moving, I, I was kind of, he was a moving target. I was kind of looking at him. I was preaching. And he stopped. OK, this guy, he seemed to be paying attention. That happened, happened about five seconds. And then he kept going. And I'm, and I'm preaching. And I'm following him. You know, it's like there's, there's no. And then I see there's a guy way out in the distance, way out in the distance. And he seems to be paying attention to me for more than a few minutes. So I direct my sermon to him. I'm preaching to him. I'm preaching the gospel to this guy way out here. And finally, I finish preaching. And lo and behold, the guy starts making his way toward me. I go, OK, this is Billy Graham, right? You know, they come forward at the end. I didn't even ask for an altar call. He starts coming toward me. And just, as he gets closer to me, I, I notice that he's not exactly super steady. And then he's stumbling a little bit. And I think maybe he's a little drunk. And then when he gets up right right up next to me, I recognize he's a lot drunk. (laughs) I tried to engage him with the gospel, but he was not interested. He didn't respond at all. He was interested in talking to me for a little bit, and I listened to him. And I don't remember all of what he said, but I remember this. He wanted wanted me to know, I've been here, I've been there, I've heard this, I've heard that, and I have to tell you, you preach good, white boy. (laughs) So that's what he said, and... uh, Uh, So that was maybe my first evangelistic meeting that I preached at, and that was that. But sometimes that isn't that. Two years later, 2001, Holy Week, leading up to Easter, I'm invited to preach in Pakistan at three evangelistic meetings. And I was told by the organizers that they might be expecting as many as 300 to 400 people a night. I informed them once I got there that any number better than zero is good. (laughs) First night in this open air field, 3,000 people. Second night, 4,000 people. Third night, 5,000 people. First night, Invite people to accept Christ, come forward. A hundred people come forward and meet with the Pakistani pastors that we had been training during the day. Second night, even more come forward. Third night, can't ask people to come forward. The field is jam-packed. All I could do is ask people to stand. A thousand or 2,000 people stood up to accept the Savior. we have the opportunity this weekend to honor Jesus. Good Friday, extravaganza, Easter Sunday. David tells us in Psalm 22, verse three, that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. As the disciples enthroned Jesus on that donkey, we enthroned Jesus on our praises we have the opportunity to do that this weekend. Watch for opportunities that the Lord creates for you to honor him. Especially be available to answer questions and use what you already have. A few weeks back, Bella Moreno, who is our middle school pastor, ran in her first ever half marathon. She was very excited about this until she got to the end and the end featured a hill that you had to run up. Why do they do this? Why is the finish uphill? The finish was uphill, and she was broken by this. She says this, I finally saw the finish line, only to look and see that the last stretch of the race was uphill. It broke my spirit. She was running with her friend, Jason He. She turned in defeat to Jason, and Jason says, No, you can't do it. You cannot quit. Jason puts his arm around her and pushes her all the way up the hill and all the way across the finish line. And they finished together. And here's a photo. Now, that's, that's, that might look a little strange to people, right? There was a man at the finish line who watched the whole thing. And he took a photo of it. Not this photo. He took a different photo of it. And he was curious. Why are you doing this? Why, what's going on here? So he approached Bella afterwards and asked her some questions. And finally, he asked her, how did it feel to cross the finish line? He asked her a question. Listen to her answer. We are Christians. And I feel that the Lord was reminding me that when I face hard things, I am not alone. He brings people into our lives to put their arms around us and carry us over the finish line. Isn't that beautiful? Now the man got down on his knees and accepted Christ right there. No. No, he didn't. But he asked her a question. She answered the question. She brought Jesus in to the answer. And that was that, as far as we know. But who knows? Maybe that wasn't that. Therefore, if you happen to see me around town wearing a certain hat, don't be surprised. Next time I put this hat on, I'm going to be ready with an answer. If somebody happens to recognize this as a Pepperdine hat, As you can see, the table is set before us. This is this awesome thing that Jesus did for us. He comes into Jerusalem, and this is where it ends, with his death, and ultimately with his resurrection as well. But the table represents his body, his blood, broken for us, poured out for us. And he said to us, do this in remembrance of me. So this is a way that we can honor Jesus simply by accepting what he has done for us. Take the bread, drink the cup. So the, uh, this, to this day, the table is going to come to you. And as the bread comes to you, please take a piece. You can eat it wherever, whenever you like. And then when the cup comes to you, hold on to that cup. Take the cup and hold on to it, and we will drink together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this unbelievable, enormous sacrifice for us. Lord, uh, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. And um, we receive this gift. And in receiving this gift, Lord Jesus, we honor you.